We come to our final message, message number eight. Greetings to everyone in the blessed name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The title is Food for Growth. That's our conclusion. Food for Growth, directly related to our first message, Grow or Die. And so it is very appropriate that we focus on food for growth. And I'm sure you know what the food is, the Word of God. There is nothing else. There is nothing on this earth that can help us to grow spiritually. And the reason is obvious. Because our salvation in Christ is not of this earth. If it is of this earth, then there will be something that is of this earth that can help us grow spiritually if our spiritual salvation is of this earth. But because it is from heaven above, Therefore, the only thing that is from heaven above that is found on this earth that can help us grow spiritually is the Bible, the Word of God. Do you know that the devil understands the importance of the Word of God more than all of us combined? Do you know that the evidence is very clear regarding this, how important the Word of God is to us, that it puts us to shame that our worst enemy, the devil himself, the old serpent, Lucifer, Satan, that he knows the importance of the Word of God in our lives, the lives of God's children, better than us. That sh should not be the case. That's shameful. And the evidence is, he never stopped attacking the Bible. He attacked the Bible even before there was sin in Adam and Eve. Yea, hath God said, were his first words to humanity, that's Eve. Casting doubt on God's word has always been his singular most potent agenda. And so he will continue to poison the food for our growth. He poisoned it at source by attacking the Bible directly. He attacks it outwardly by flanking, by all sorts of ways and means possible because he respects no places. No place is so sacred that he will not invade even your mind and your heart. Was he not the one that entered into Judas Iscariot to do his evil deed of betraying the Lord Jesus Christ? Was Peter not turned into his pawn and out of his own selfish heart and desire pleaded with Christ to disobey the Heavenly Father in order to please Peter and the disciples. And so Jesus had to rebuke him. Get thee behind me, Satan. And so if you think that he will not undermine the Word of God, knowing that it is the most powerful weapon in every believer's life, you would be considered most naive. He will never stop. 
He will use anyone, anything, as long as he succeeds to wrench and tear down your holy witness, where you will die spiritually in that sense. Not that you will lose your salvation, but that you will lose your holy witness. That has always been his agenda. Where God's servants, when they stumble and fall, or live in ignorance and bear a holy witness that is not according to Scripture, the devil wins. He knows that he has his own army wearing his own uniform. That's the people of the world without Christ. But he also knows that they cannot do as much damage as when one of God's own children, truly born again children of God, wearing God's uniform, and then get them to sin. They will do the devil's dirty work when that happens. Oh, his own uh, armies wearing his uniform will delight in doing all his dirty work. That's the world out there. You see that, you taste it all the time. Don't let yourself become a tool in the devil's hand. And you will become a tool in the devil's hand when you do not grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you remember our first message, if you don't grow, you begin to die. That's the way it is. That's why you have to keep growing, just like any one of us. Anything that you see, a tree will continue to grow unless the tree is diseased and it is about to die. Then it will begin to stop growing. And once it stops growing, everything in the tree from inside out will begin to crumble and fall apart, diseased. That's the way of growth. Why do people stop growing? Because they are beginning to die. That's the only thing that, that can hinder growth, death. Otherwise, they will keep growing. And the food to help us to grow is the Bible, the Word of God. And so we see in these two verses, verse 15 and 16. 15a tells us, the power of this food, it is the food that saves. That's the beginning of growth. The food that saves. And accounted that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. See that? So the reason, if you recall, why the Lord has not returned yet is to give us more time. Long-suffering is very, very patient dealing with difficult individual. The long-suffering of our Saviour is for us to witness and to save more souls for your salvation. After you are saved, you are left behind to be used by God to save others. That's why the Lord has not returned yet. So do not sit there and lull and deceive yourself into a foolish stupor where you are half awake most of the time in your spiritual life. Wake up. Be sober. Be watchful. Time to wake up is yesterday. Was yesterday. It's too late. It's already very late. You have to wake up immediately, right here and now, even as you hear this sermon. You're going to cry to the Lord to awaken you. 
because there are so many people around you who need to know Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior, and the longer you do not grow, the more they are not going to see Christ. They're going to see a false Christ because they know that you are a Christian. And the longer you procrastinate and delay in fixing your carnality and turn it back into holiness, the more the people around you will be stumbled. Because this food, the Word of God, is the tool that is in our hands. Not in the hands of the birds and the fish and the animals. Not even in the hand of the angels. Not even in the hand of the Holy Spirit. It's in our hand, our responsibility, our privilege. Isn't that the Great Commission? Go ye therefore with what? With the powerful word of God, the food of growth. And they can't grow if they are not born again because that's the beginning of their growth. And that's why you hold in your hand the food for growth because in the word of God, you will be able to present to them the Jesus Christ of the Bible. And Jesus promised us, as long as I am in the world, I will remain the light of the world that can still save sinner. And you are that individual. You are the representative of Christ. By your life of holiness, they are supposed to see Christ, not you. And as long as they see Christ in your life, that's how Jesus Christ meant when he said, as long as I'm in the world, remember, he's seated in heaven in God's, at God's right hand. That means he's not in the world, but then how can he therefore remain the salvation of the world, the light of the world, the only name under heaven and on this earth that can save a sinner out of hell and thrust him into heaven? Jesus Christ. That's why the name Jesus Christ continued to come under all kinds of attack. You talk to a Roman Catholic and ask him to define and explain to you who Jesus Christ is, then they will explain to you the Jesus Christ of the Roman Catholic. And the Jesus Christ of the Roman Catholic cannot save, even though it's spelled the same, sound the same, but it is not the same. Because the Jesus Christ that they learn from is not from the scripture alone. It is tainted, it is mixed with all the traditions, the hundreds of years of traditions of the Roman Catholic Church. And as long as it is mingled with the poison of idolatry, errors, blasphemy, you mix it with truth, the truth is contaminated, that gospel will no longer save. Even though the gospel of the Roman Catholic contain all the elements of the Bible, the gospel of Scripture, but because of the addition that is put into it, it has been poisoned. And when you believe in that gospel, that Jesus Christ of the Roman Catholic, you will bow down to the Pope and not to Christ. And the Pope cannot save you, for he is a sinner like everyone else. Then you listen to the Jesus Christ of the Charismatics. The Jesus Christ of the Charismatic also cannot save. 
They may also contain all the gospel elements according to scriptures. Again, like the Roman Catholic, they also mix it with, with some other form of poison. Not the same kind of poison of the traditions of the very ancient Roman Catholic Church, but just as poisonous and just as deadly. It also will not save. It will entertain, but it will also make you very carnal. The whole worship is carnal because their gospel is carnal. They basically Christianize the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life and say that you can now indulge in them without having your conscience being pricked and convicted by it because it's no longer sinful. For that's why Jesus Christ came down from heaven and earth to die for your sins so that you can be carnal, and that is their gospel. Their Jesus also sound the same, spell the same, but again, not the same. And again, that Jesus will not save. That's how important your life is. Then we have the new evangelicals. They also preach the gospel. But their gospel originates from a Bible with mistakes. That means their God who gave them the gospel has mistakes. And the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is like the Father in every way, will therefore also make mistakes. Isn't that what we are seeing and experiencing day in and day out in our Christianity today? And how many of you are wary where your eyes are open to the pitfalls and danger of what is happening around us. Or you look at the Roman Catholics numbered in the billion and you feel nothing. Then you look at all those charismatic churches and all those charismatic friends and you look at them as if they are believers and you also feel nothing. They don't offend you at all when they should. And then, of course, closest to home would be the new evangelicals who call themselves fundamentalists and Christians, and some of them are also Bible Presbyterians, but they believe that Bible has mistakes. That means God makes mistakes. Again, it is not the Jesus Christ of the Bible because the God of the Bible is a God who makes no mistakes. It is perfect. He is perfect. And how do I know He's perfect? Because His words are perfect. Because the perfect God will give me a perfect Bible, which basically means the perfect word. Now that is the Jesus Christ of the Bible that can save. But of course, out of these three groups, the Roman Catholics, the Charismatics, and the New Evangelicals, the fourth one would be the worst of all. Do you know that there are those who believe in VPI and VPP? There are those who may even have written papers defending the Bible, the perfect Bible. And when you read their writings, you can't fault them. But their lives, their lives are not lived according to scriptures. They are carnal. They lie, they deceive, they cheat. But they write very well, they speak very well, they might even preach very well. But they are not well in their heart and in their souls. So on paper, 
blameless. But in life, not born again. They are the most deadly and dangerous because they are so hard, so difficult for us to discern because they could be very well in our midst and we don't even know them. And I'm sure you could name some of them because BPCWA was not spared just as Calvary Pandan was not spared from such an attack. The food that helps us to grow is also the food that saves, for that is the beginning of growth. And that is something that we must hold on to dearly and not allow ourselves to forget how important the gospel that saves, that must truly save especially in the midst of such an environment of a Christianity that has turned apostate, fallen away. That makes you the very minority of minorities. That means you must stand for the Lord Jesus Christ above all relationships. Some of you may have friends who are of the VPI but not VPP. And you think that because of friendship, because of relationship, it is no big deal. Everyone that mars the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or the Word of God can never be considered as no big deal. It should always be a big deal. Anyone that diminishes the name of Christ and the Word of God is always a big deal. Don't wait until they diminish it in a very big scale. Then it becomes a big deal when they diminish it in a very small manner, in a minute manner, then it's okay. Isn't that how it always begins? Have you never heard those who claim the Bible's mistakes? Oh, but don't worry, it's only a few percentage. I received an email from someone that I knew, no longer in communication, especially when the VPP was at the height of its contention in our midst. That person was in America and he was attending an American church when he was in America. And then he wrote me an email out of the blue and explained to me that, you know, his pastor told him that, you know, the Bible has mistakes, it's no big deal, it's only a very, very small percentage, 1% or so. And it can all be contained in one A4 size page. So when I received that email, I just did a little bit of calculation. Even 1%. How many words are there in the Bible? Let's say use a translation, not the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Let's say use a translation, the King James. How many words are there in the Bible? How many words? Do you know? How many words are there in the Bible? Hmm? Do you know? The number of words in the Bible 
on my internet, let's say they put down there the New King James, 770,000. Let's say 750,000 on an average, because the NIV, they put on 750,000. Let's say on an average, 750. Okay, let's reduce it, or right, 700,000, let's say. 1% of 700,000, it's how many? Hmm? 700,000 words. Just let's make sure that I do not see wrongly. Yep, 770,000 for New King James Bible. Let's say 700,000. That's 7,000, right? 1%, minus two zeros. When you write your papers, one page, Usually, maximum, how many words? 400. 12 size fonts, that is readable. You reduce it to 10 size fonts. Let's say, even if you double it, 800. You triple it, 1,002. 7,000. So where did this American pastor, using his what, position as a pastor, and then openly blurt out 1%, where did he get that 1% form? I'm sure he read it somewhere from some liberal or some modernist who attacked the Bible. Where did he get that 1% from? Or oh, some people will say 2%, some 3%, but it's a small percentage. But don't worry, your salvation is not affected. It's only in names of people, places, and numbers. Isn't that how it works? Where it is always man-centered. Oh, so long as my salvation is not affected, it's okay. The moment people say things like this, where they focus on the sinful man, promote him, and then focus on God, and then demote him, something is amiss. It cannot be of God. Because everything that is of God, when it points to man, it demotes us. It reveals to us who we really are, sinners. And whenever it reveals God, it always promotes God. It always glorifies God. That has always been the Bible's emphasis. God's glory, man's nothingness, man's depravity. And now when you hear promotions like this, doctrines, teachings like this, you don't even need to be a theologian. You don't even need to know Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. The sound of it, the Bible has mistakes, only one or two percent, so it should be all right. That demotes God. But don't worry, your salvation is not affected. That promotes man, that's selfishness. But the mystics are in numbers of names, places, and people. That demotes God. That means God is careless. God is not faithful in the least. Because now they are saying that the inspiration of the Bible is divided into the least and the greatest. Our salvation portion, spiritual, very important. Numbers of people, places, names of people, not important. 
It demotes God. It promotes man. God is depraved. Man is glorified. How can that sound right to us as God's children? You don't need to know the Bible page after page after page from Genesis to Revelation. You don't have to memorize. The sound of it will tell you that it is not. You may not be able to de delineate it. You may not be able to argue and defend it. But you know it cannot be right as a child of God because Jesus assured us, my sheep hears my voice. That's not the voice of my Savior. My sheep hears my voice and they follow me. That's the voice of a hireling. That's not the voice of the Good Shepherd. So why are you following them? It's not the voice of the Good Shepherd. And if you follow them, that means there's something wrong with you. Not with the Lord's assurance. When the Lord assures us, my sheep hears my voice and they follow me, he is never wrong. So how do you know you're a sheep and not a goat? Who you follow? You follow these people that make man glorious and make God depraved? And you call that the God of the Bible? You call that Jesus Christ? The last days are here, which means Christianity has turned apostate. That means there are more voices that will point you away from Christ than voices that will draw you to Christ. And it all begins with salvation, the food that saves. And if you're not saved, everything else that follow after it, it's irrelevant. It doesn't apply to you. You are not going to the new heaven and the new earth. You are still heading toward the lake of fire. You just do not know it yet. But God says, I do not want you to find out after you die. That's why God gave us the Bible, the revelation, to help us get out of the snare and the delusion and the deception that is very, very prominent in our last days. And therefore, we need the Bible much, much more now than ever before, than 50, 100, 300 years ago. Because the last of the last days are right here and now. In the 16th century Reformation, we cannot say Christianity has fallen away. Christianity was just given a new lease of life with the 16th century Reformation through the courage and ministries of Luther, Calvin and Zwingli and John Knox later on. But that was in the 16th century. Now we're living in the 21st century, 500 years ago. And we are now in the last days because of what the charismatics have done to Christianity and what the new evangelicals have done to Christianity and what the Roman Catholics continue to do to Christianity. And they are fulfilling exactly what the Lord has prophesied in 2 Timothy, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 3, where Christianity will fall away. And now we are living in such a time where it has fallen away. And Jesus says, that will take place prior to my rapture, my return for the church. And therefore, we are living in very perilous times. That's why you have to make sure of your salvation. Because if you are not truly born again, everything else that you do in the Christian world, in the church, they mean nothing. The moment you die, you will still be thrust into the abyss, the lake of fire. 
where the waves of flame and burning of brimstone will pour upon your soul non-stop forever. The food for growth is the powerful word of God, but it begins with salvation, for it is the food that saves. And once it saves, then it will continue to benefit. You must continue to consume it in order for you to grow now that you are born again. And we see that in the second half of verse 15 where it says, Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Now you and I know that Paul wrote a lot of epistles. And most of what he has written concerning the epistles, they are meat. They are for our spiritual growth, our spiritual well-being. Sure, there are many portions of it. Some of it, they are about salvation, especially the book of Romans. But when you read about his prison epistles, when you read about Galatians, his prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then his pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and then his epistle also from prison to Philemon about Onesimus. Most of them are about sanctification, how to live a holy and a godly and a righteous Christian life according to scriptures. And that's why the word of God not only saves, it is a food that saves, but it's also a food that benefits. It's a food that will mature us. It's a food that will help us grow, just like when a baby comes out from the mother's womb, the baby will drink milk. So the Bible is described as milk first, little by little. So there will be many portions of the Word of God that will be called milk, and the milk doctrine will most likely be what the book of Hebrews defined it as, the elements of the gospel. And the elements of the gospel, you'll find them mentioned in Hebrews. And I'm not sure whether you agree that these are elements, because when you look at them, it may surprise you to find that some people may not see them as elements because they still struggle with these doctrines. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 first, and we'll read through to chapter 6. Of whom we have many things to say and harder to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing, that's a rebuke. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, because some of you are already believers for a season of time, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, that's the milk, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong drink, right? Milk. The first principles. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, that's the Bible, that will help you to become more and more righteous, where the new heavens and new earth, they are characterized by righteousness. And that's what you must be today, right now, so that you will be very, very suitable and comfortable in that environment of righteousness, because now you're always been righteous, even in a sin-filled world. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. 
So a mature believer will have a very strong discernment to know what is the right thing to do and what is the wrong thing not to do. That's the benefit of the Word of God. Now let's have a glimpse of what the Bible considers as first principles, which is also called milk. The milk of the Word. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles, right? this will be the principle, what principles? The first principles mentioned in chapter 5, verse 12. Chapter 6, verse 1 continues. Therefore, leaving the principles, what principles? Well, the principles of the doctrine of Christ, which is basically the gospel, the gospel that saves. Let us go on unto perfection. Right, let us grow. Let us benefit more unto maturity. Not laying again. All right, so now he is highlighting the milk doctrines, the principles, the first principles. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from good works. Right? Salvation is not by good works. Sorry, repentance from dead works. Right? All those old way of understanding of salvation by good works, salvation by this and salvation by that, that is not of Christ. Don't lay them again. And of faith toward God. Doctrine of baptisms, plural. Water baptism. What else? Spirit baptism. How the Lord Jesus Christ baptized us with the Holy Spirit. And if your doctrine of baptism is not uh, strong, you will be confused by what the, Roman, the, the charismatics are promoting. They promote uh, this new idea that is unbiblical, baptism of the Holy Spirit. So how well do you understand the doctrine of baptisms, plural, in the Bible? Infant baptism, believer's baptism, Jesus Christ baptized us with the Holy Spirit. What do they mean? And then now you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's an unbiblical phrase. The Holy Spirit doesn't baptize anyone. The Bible says Jesus Christ baptizes us with the Holy Spirit the moment we are born again. Was that not what John the Baptist said at the start of Christ's ministry? When they thought that he was the Messiah, they say no. I only teach and preach the baptism of repentance, but one moment, one day, someone will come. The Lamb of God, the ticket away the sins of the world, and He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He is the one, not me. So the doctrine of baptisms, how well do you know it? If you do not know it well, then you are still drinking milk. And of laying on of hands, ordination, when you send out mission work, what does it mean? Laying of hands of those who are sick. Of the resurrection of the dead. Do you know that the Bible talks about the resurrection of damnation for those who are in hell? At the great white throne judgment? And then there is the resurrection of the saved, where they will receive the glorified bodies. And then there will be the rapture. And then there will be the resurrection of the saints at the second coming of Christ for the church? Who will be resurrected? Will it be all believers from day one, from the time of Adam? Or only the church will be raptured? Sorry, resurrected. 
Because that's what the dispensationalists believe. Because they believe that the Old Testament saints are not saved by Christ. They believe that only the New Testament saints are saved by Christ. And the Bible says only those who have died in Christ will be resurrected. And so therefore, many dispensationalists, that would be the Baptists, the Charismatics, and many of the Brethren churches, they believe that the Old Testament saints will remain dead and not be resurrected at the resurrection of Christ, at the, at the second coming of Christ for the church during the first resurrection, just before the rapture. But we believe that Old Testament believers, they also believe in Christ, but looking forward to what Christ will do for them through all their Old Testament sacrifices. So therefore, they also die in Christ, and therefore they also will be resurrected when Christ returns again for the church. Now these are all about the doctrine of the resurrection. How well do you know them? And then there is the eternal judgment. The judgment of the sheep and the goats. The judgment of the great white throne judgment. Are they the same? They are not the same. The judgment of the sheep and the goats are judgment of all the people of the world in mortal flesh. The judgment of the great white throne are all the people of the earth from day one. And all of them will stand before the Lord in their resurrected bodies. Those who are in Christ's resurrected body glorified will be judged according to their works, where they will be rewarded. They're already saved in Christ. For those who are resurrection of the damned from hell, they will be judged according to their works, and then they will be cast in the lake of fire to join Satan, the beast, and the false prophet in the lake of fire. That's the doctrine of eternal judgment. How well do you know all these milk doctrines? That's what the author of Hebrews challenge us, rebuke us. When you are supposed to be mature believers handling the word of God and he was shocked that you are still drinking milk. Where the gospel, the basic elements of the gospel mentioned here, repentance from dead works, faith toward God, doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternity. These are all the key milk doctrines. And they don't even know them well enough. And therefore, they could not be teachers. The food for growth is the Word of God and it benefits us. That's why you never, never stop studying the Bible for the great Apostle Paul who has written so many inspired New Testament books of the Bible. And yet, at the end of his life in Philippians, he penned and shared with us that he considered his own life, all those that he once upon a time leaned upon and thought that they were very pleasing in the eyes of God. His circumcision at birth, eight days after birth. So of the tribe of Benjamin, Pharisee of Pharisees, he leaned upon his pedigree, he leaned upon his ritual, he leaned upon so much of the good works until he realized that none of these things contribute to his salvation. And so he says, I cast them off as dung. They don't contribute one tiny bit to my salvation. And then he accepted Christ as Lord and as Savior. And then in the next couple of verses, he says, I continue to count them as dung. Eh? Why did he say, I counted them as dung? And then now he continues to count them as dung. Why? Because they kept on coming back to his memory. 
He kept on being tempted to lean upon them again, take pride in the fact that I am better than all these other Jews because I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm better than all these other Jews because I know my pedigree. I'm better than some of these other Jews because I was circumcised on the eighth day. Not like Timothy, he was circumcised as an adult. That means all those years before he was circumcised, he was in disobedience. I was not. I was in obedience to God from birth. He continued to count them as dumb because he refused to allow all these things to creep back into his life that will make him very proud. Because the moment he allowed all these to come back in, he realized that he could not continue to grow. And so he says, I continue to count them as dumb in order for me to pursue after the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He wanted to grow. And he was in prison. And very soon after that, he would be called home to glory. You mean the great apostle Paul? A few short moments before he was called home to glory, he still had this strong passion and impetus to grow? Yes. He knew the word of God better than all of us combined many times over. True? And yet, as far as knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, there is so much more about the Lord Jesus Christ that I want to know. And he considered this as the excellency, the greatest of all greatest knowledge on planet Earth, that is to know his Savior. Is that your understanding, dearly beloved? Is that your realization, dearly beloved, concerning the food that will help us grow the Word of God. Don't you ever disdain the Word of God. You know how foolish some people are? You know, they attend a Bible study. Oh, I attended this Bible study on Genesis. Oh, I don't have to attend a, another Bible study on Genesis again. Oh, I attended the Bible study on this particular book. Oh, I don't need to attend it again. How many times do you drink water? Oh, I drank water yesterday. I don't need to drink water again today. But you still drink today, right? You drank it this morning. You still want to drink it this afternoon. You know the kind of food that is available out there for us in the world? They are all the same. It's just that you cook it differently. Vegetable is vegetable. Different color, different leaf, different types of vegetable is vegetable. Meat is meat. Oh, you have all kinds of meat, but meat is meat. That's our problem, isn't it? We just want to tickle our taste buds. We just simply despise eating the same food over and over again, just like the people of Israel in the wilderness. When they had no food and they murmured and complained, the Lord did not punish them. The Lord provided them with manna. They could have asked the Lord better because it was the Lord's responsibility, definitely, who took them out of Egypt without any time to plan for any logistics. And so, right, I know you need food. You're hungry, you ran out of food. You don't have to murmur to ask me for food. You just ask nicely, but they did not. So the Lord just provided them with manna without any rebuke or punishment. But subsequently later on, during the 40 years of wilderness wandering, they no longer murmured about no food. They murmured about the menu. They were sick of the manna. Every day, manna, 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 manna. 
they want to change the taste buds. Isn't that very much like us? Tired of the 66 books of the Bible. I read again, again and again. Don't confuse knowing certain facts of the Bible with knowing the Bible. Don't confuse yourself. Just because you know that David killed Goliath and ta da 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 I don't need to study that chapter again. I just know it. That is not knowing the Bible. You don't know the Bible. Please, the Bible is the book of life. It's not the book of facts where you regurgitate. The Bible is the book that transforms lives. David and Goliath, they are called testimonies. They are testimonies of David, Goliath, King Saul, Samuel, and all the characters that are there. And these testimonies are there to help us understand ourselves and our God. And they are spiritual. They are not just recorded there to give facts. They have a spiritual meaning and significance that we must learn to draw from and impact and change our lives and transform it accordingly. And that's why you must never stop studying the Bible. Every time you study the Bible, you learn something new and fresh. By the grace of God, I've taught the book of Genesis 11 times. And every time I teach it, I learn something new. Then I sat back and asked myself, how come? Why is it that I am not able to see what I can see in this book of Genesis, which has not changed one bit? The 11th time, I can see this. But when I study it the first time and I wrote a commentary of the book of Genesis, the first time when I study it, there's so many things I missed out. I could not see them. But I can see them after the 11th time and more. What is the problem? The problem is me, maturity. Somehow, when you study the book of the Bible at this stage of your spiritual maturity, God will only allow you to see only so much. And then some years down the road, hopefully you have matured. And then when you study the same book again with this new level of maturity, the Holy Spirit will allow you to see more of the Bible. It's not that the Word of God is hidden. Somehow, that's the way maturity is. It's true also of the physical maturity. I remember when I was in primary school. Primary six was a mountain that I thought I would never climb. It was so high. Impossible. Struggle with all my subjects. Then when I was preparing for my old level, then I looked back at the primary six books, the maths, the English, the science. I look at them. They're so easy. It's not even a molehill. It's just flat ground. The mathematics, they are chicken feed. What happened? I have changed. But when I was 12 years old preparing for primary six, it was a mountain. 
But now that I'm 16 years old preparing for O-level, it's no longer a mountain, it's flat ground. I just step over it. What happened? It's still the same maths problem. Everything's still the same. That's growth. That's maturity. If when I'm 16, I still find that a mountain that I need to climb, then there's something really wrong with me. If I can't handle primary six mathematics, how am I expect to pass O-level additional maths and elementary maths? Impossible. Then when you go into university or A-level, and then you look back at your O-level. Maturity. That's true of the spiritual realm. So never, never stop studying the Bible, even if they study the same book a thousand times. The thousand and one time, you'll still learn new things. That's why Paul says, I will never, never stop pursuing after the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, and I will not allow anything to slow me down, to cause me to lose focus, because the food of growth begins with salvation, and then the benefit will lead to maturity, and I must continue to grow and mature. And I will only stop growing when I arrive home in heaven as far as earth is concerned. Sure, I will continue to grow, but I will be growing in a very different environment, an environment that will never, never be enmity against my growth. In contrast to this earth, where everything is at odds, it's at enmity against my spiritual growth. And the Lord says, in the midst of such adversities to your growth, all the more you should grow. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, I count these things as dung. And we must do the same. Because every time you want to grow forward, the devil will throw in a lot of attractions and obstacles that will slow you down. And you have to keep on counting them as dung. It could be your job. It could be your family responsibilities. It could be your grandchildren. It could be whatever change or whatever it might be. Financial responsibilities. The deceitfulness of riches, thinking that riches can help me solve my problem instead of Christ. So I need to work more jobs, earn more money. And then you give up your spiritual witness and your worship and your Bible study. And therefore, you already begin to die spiritually, thinking that money can solve the problem that Christ could not. Was that not what many of the kings did? That's why they went to all the foreign nations to ask them for help. And that's why they were punished for it. You think there is no God in Israel? that you have to go to the Syrians for help, go to the Assyrians for help, go to the Egyptians for help. You mean there is no God in Israel? Is there no God in your life that you have to go to gold instead of God to help you? Food for growth. Food that saves, food that benefits, and then finally, food that reveals. Verse 16, what does that mean? You know, we know that the Bible is described as a book that is shallow enough for a baby to walk in and understand and not be drowned by it. But to those who are mature, the Bible is a book that is so deep that you dive into it and you never touch bottom. And that's why in the Bible, there are some parts that are very tough to understand. Now you watch. As also in all his epistles, referring to Paul's writing, Speaking in them of these things, 
in which are some things hard to be understood. Now, you watch. Why didn't the Bible make it easy for us to understand? Why must there be some parts that are hard to understand? Which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also other scriptures unto their own destruction. That's why the Bible is written in such a manner whereby you can understand a particular doctrine and it is enough to save you. But then when you look at that doctrine in a very, very deep, deep way, a deeper way, it's going to reveal whether you are truly born again or not, whether you're going to be an enemy of Christ or a friend of Christ. It's going to be measured by the Word of God. You twist it, you rest it, then God says, this is what you are, an enemy. And what will you get from him? Destruction. Have you ever been told that the VPP doctrine is a very complicated doctrine? It's hard to understand. In a way, it is. But in another way, it is not. Do you know that every doctrine is like that? That's why when we teach basic Bible knowledge class, those who are truly born again, they just listen, they just accept. Now, we only teach them basic Bible knowledge. There is so much more to all those chapters. And if you were to study those chapters where it describes doctrine, one doctrine at a time, and you study them in depth, you can spend years upon years to study it and you will still not exhaust it. But in our class, it's less than 45 minutes at most an hour. And those who are truly born again will say amen to every single doctrine. And they will understand it. But even though dig deeper and deeper and deeper, they will really, really, the fine points are really hard to understand. The doctrine of VPP is a very simple, basic doctrine, actually, in a way. God who inspired, He also preserved. Bible verses upon Bible verses demonstrate that. Very simple. Now, how did God preserve it? I don't know. How did He inspire it? I also do not know. But I just simply believe. If I try to understand the how part, I will never believe. How did God inspire? Now, we know that Scripture, some of them are by dictation, like the Ten Commandments, like Exodus chapter 21, 22, 23, where God just gave them the civil laws. The whole book of Leviticus, except chapters 8, 9, and 10, are by dictation, where God just simply dictated, Moses just wrote them down. The meaning of burnt offering, the meaning of sin offering, the meaning of trespass offering, the meaning of thank offering. And what are clean animals, what are unclean animals, what are unclean birds, what are clean birds, and so on. God just dictated, Moses just wrote. That's inspiration, one form. But then there are also other inspiration whereby the epistles. The Apostle Paul just wrote them to deal with the problems in the church in Corinth, Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonica. 
It's as if they were his own words because they are his vocabulary. Because you compare the writing of Peter and John and Paul, they all use different vocabulary. That means the personality of the writers are not destroyed, but yet at the end of it, when they finish their writing, we may call it Peter's writing, Peter's epistles, Paul's epistles, John's epistles, but at the end of it, they are not the words of Paul, words of Peter. Suddenly, God just, boom, converted into God's word. That's not inspiration. God did not just simply transform the word of man to become the word of God. What they wrote was the very breath of God. And yet the personalities of Peter, Paul, and John are not destroyed in the process. They are not machines. But when they wrote scripture, the words are God's word, not theirs. But when they write something else, if they were to write some kind of note to their servant to buy this food in the market, that's not inspiration. That is just simply handwriting of men like yours and mine. So they are not perfect individuals. They are just normal human beings with like passions who can still fall into sin, like everyone else. But yet when they write scripture by inspiration, it's perfect, it's inspired, it's the very breath of God. So how do I know how inspiration works? I don't. But we just believe. Same with preservation. It may take thousands of years, it doesn't matter. It may even be millions of years. That's not the problem. I don't care how many millions of years. I don't need to know the how part. I just need to know that God did it, and that's it. Except by faith. But then you have the enemies of Christ who will rest it, twist it, and then they're going to turn it to confuse the people, to make them think that, wow, it's so complicated. It's not complicated. But that's what happened when people who are unlearned and unstable, that's how God regards them. People who are not born again, no matter how many degrees they have, as far as God is concerned, God says you are unlearned. And not only that, you are unstable. And then you will rest, you will twist the truth, the word of God, to your own destruction. God will punish you. God will destroy you for what you are doing to his word. So don't you dare meddle with God's word. The food that helps us to grow is also the food that will expose traitors, wolves in sheep's clothing. That's why we thank God for the doctrine of the verbal plenary preservation. Because of it, we have a cleaner purer leadership in Pandan. If not for this doctrine, we did not know that some of these elders were evil individuals who had in their heart to undermine and diminish the word of God. But the Bible revealed them, exposed them. We did not know that the pastor of a Mandarin congregation was such a man too. And half the congregation blindly followed him. God removed and sanctified expose, separate truth from error, light from darkness, sheep from goats. That's the word of God. That's the power of the food that helps us to grow. It also reveals or exposes who is of the Lord, who is on God's side, and who is not of God and not on God's side. Anyone left the church because they can't stand a, a perfect Bible? Don't weep for them. 
That's exactly what the Word of God is supposed to be. Expose them. You can pray for them that the Lord will show mercy and save them. But don't you dare take their sight and weep for them as if what? As if what? They believe that our God makes mistakes. Why do you want to weep for them? They attack and undermine the veracity of God's word, which imply the veracity of the very perfection of God himself. Do you know why God has said to Aaron, when his two older sons, Nadab and Abihu, were struck dead in the midst of their first inaugural service, in Leviticus chapter 10, they offered strange fire at the end of chapter 9. Chapter 9 described their first inaugural service as the first high priest. Aaron was the high priest and the two sons as priests assisted him. The third and fourth sons stood by the side, Eliezer and Ithamar. And when both of them offered strange fire before the sacrifices were completed, the fire from heaven struck them dead. The priestly garments remained intact, but the bodies were burned to death. And then Aaron was told, don't you cry. Don't you participate in the burial. Let others do it. Why did God tell him not to cry? The moment you weep means what? You take their side against God? That it's okay for them to offer strange fire? You wear the head of the high priest. You are on God's side at that moment in time. And God told him in no uncertain terms, don't you cry. Because to cry means to send a message to the rest of Israel. God did wrong. God should not have struck my children dead. That's why he was told not to cry. So the message to the whole of Israel, God did right. They should not have offered strange fire. And anyone from henceforth, you offer strange fire, you too will die. Those who attack and undermine the perfect Bible, don't you weep for them. You rebuke them, you admonish them. Because to re weep for them, what? God is wrong? God is never wrong. God is always right. They need to be rebuked. They don't need to be consoled. Sure, if they sin and they hurt themselves, fine. They've been hurt by someone. But this is not hurting someone, human. This is attack, King God and God himself. Because when you attack God's word, it's a direct assault and affront against God himself. And that's why the food that helps us to grow it's a food that saves. It's a food that matures and benefits us and helps us to grow into maturity. But it also exposes and reveals how you handle the Word of God will expose who you really are. A wolf in sheep's clothing? Or are you truly a sheep in heart and soul and clothing? Grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ or else you will die. And the death, if you're truly born again, is not your salvation, but your holy witness. And please do not think, as long as I'm saved, it's okay. It's never okay. 
That kind of thinking is not of God. That kind of thinking is sinful. Because you have been saved by the blood of Christ. And you have been left behind to be a witness for Christ. Which means what you say should be the words of Christ. What you do should be the deeds of Christ. And where your feet bring you should be the places where Christ himself would have walked if he walked on earth today, using you to do his work. So do not ever think or say that as long as I'm saved, it does not matter how I live. That kind of thinking is evil and wicked and most sinful because the people all around you will be stumbled and you will continue to break. Commandment number three, by taking the name of the Lord in vain and present to the people around you a false Christ because you do not live a life of holiness. Knowing the Bible in terms of its facts is not the same as knowing the Bible that transform your life into holiness. That is spiritual growth. Let us pray.